Today on our show, we're counting down the top 10 sci-fi films of the 21st century. That's right, Polly, let's go. Wow. <laughs> 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 Not one. quite the 21st century, That's, but you know, close you know. enough. Uh, episode 435, welcome along folks, my name is Wayne. And my name is Paul, welcome to the podcast, we count down stuff in order of awesomeness so you don't have to, and today as mentioned... Sci-fi this millennium, the 21st century. So since 2000. Yeah, 2000 is what I had done. I was then later on corrected by our recent guest, and we'll hear about him more in just a few moments, Stu from mm. the Stu World Order mm. podcast said, you know, it really technically the 21st century starts on January 1st, 2021. I'm like, uh-huh, I am not, I have no <laughs> issues with Wayne if he has films from 2000 in his list. I think the earliest I got is 2002. So, so it doesn't matter. So we're all, we're all clear. I don't think I've got any from 2000 in my list either so there we are technically acknowledged but yes the 21st century all the way up until today so i film that if you watched it yesterday that was released on friday or thursday it could count nice but i don't have many films that are recent on my list wayne no mine are i mean when's when's the last time you had a really good time with a with a um a sci-fi film probably for you just remembering is that fucking one that was shot in australia with the dude that has like replaceable limbs and shit. What was it called? It was called motherfucking... I'm sure it's not on your list because I can't even remember it. Upgrade. Upgrade. That one. So, you know, I think that's that's the last time I... Oh. Probably should be on my list. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. And you know what? Did you did you do this, Paul? Did you do... um? You know, because we always talk about movies. If there's, if there's any particular ones that I always talk about, I'm trying to... A couple I put in there. Maybe I'm trying to go a little bit like fun, like left and right with this list. Maybe talk about a few that you maybe didn't hear about or you haven't thought about in a few years. That kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, look, I didn't this time. I, I really could have left out my one and two because I have talked about them a fair amount. My number amount. one, I talk about it nonstop, but I, but I couldn't not put it on there because it's I just... I felt there. that way about both of these. Even though my number two, not to give too much away about my list, I was like, oh, it's sci-fi, yes, but only for one really, I guess, important reason, but doesn't really come across that way. Like, I'll take this out if you put it in there, but have you put Eternal Sunshine on yours? It's my honorable mentions. It got chopped off very late. Okay, because that is an amazing, amazing film, but there's only one aspect of it that is sci-fi, which is the idea of removing your memories. But that's very sci-fi. Everything else about it is like a fucking, you know... Contemporary Contemporary fucking... It's it's a fucking indie film as hell, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I have no problems that that was on your list. Yeah, yeah, no, me neither. But like, yeah, you might shop things off for that reason. So I get it. So we'll see. We'll see what uh, makes the list and, and then people can rant at us about that one and rave at us about this topic, as always, if they so desire. Hell yeah. But that's on the other side of the segment, which kicks off most every show. It's called The Recount. Who wants a recount? Who? 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 wants a recount? Who? 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 wants a recount? Who? 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 wants a recount? Let's recount the last week, Polly. Hit it up. Well, from a couple of weeks back. from Oh, actually three weeks back now. From episode 432, which ah, was... Yes. The top 10 action comedies. Now, this is <laughs> notable for a number of reasons, this particular list. Now, one, we are a bit late on it, but that's because of the topics that we had to consider and also timing of recordings. So, Stu came on, as mentioned, the Stu World Order podcast. Mm-hmm. And did a really great job and it was really great to have Stu on the show. Stu's the shit. And a uh, consummate professional would recommend him to be on any show if you'd like to have a, a prepared... It's always a good time with Stu, yes. If yes. you are a podcaster, try and get great, him on. Great guy. Now, apparently... There's been this big push in the Facebook community led by one Chris Yeeney mm. who decided Stu should win this, this week's list because in his mind, 
No American has ever won on this show. Is that so? <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Oh, because the New Zealander guy. New Zealanders, <laughs> Sam Early. Sam. Beat us. Yeah. Wasn't there another? Hendo and Dean from the Movie Journey podcast. They're Peters. Obviously, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So this was Yeni's big push, and he was also quite angry that I made the Jerry Marino joke that I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was too soon. Right. So before I reveal the votes, I'm going to read a couple of the comments because there is some funniness in the comments, please. but also in the overall result. So <laughs> Yeni is still banging on about because he put a vote up himself, and when I took it down, no, yep. we're not ready to do the vote yet. <laughs> Last I recall, Stu was already up 85% or so. Paul was afraid to lose before going on holiday, so he wanted to restart the poll after his birthday and hoped people would forget how he maliciously came after Jerry Ritter. <laughs> uh, Nick Orton said, been a while, I kind of forgot. Right now, Wayne has zero votes very early on. So here you go. Okay, this is up. Thanks, Troy. Changing my vote. One for Stu, sorry. <laughs> Let me just say, I've, I have taken a glance at this. I usually take a step away. <laughs> And I think I got zero votes. No, it's not true. Yeah, not something, true. something close to zero votes. Troy's been the man who does put the list up every week. Thank you, Troy, again for your hard work. Oh, said, the only correct voting order is one, Paul, two, Stu, <laughs> three, the soundboard, four, <laughs> literally anything else, five, Wayne. Sorry, bro, but that list was out of control. I don't know what you people are talking about. <laughs> uh, Billy Dunham, B. Dizzle said, the mummy, the Incredibles and Kick-Ass, it has to be Paul. And then Julio from The Contrarian said, I'm undecided. Wayne shot himself in the in the foot early on by having tag on his list. Doesn't matter if it fits the brief or not. That movie blows. That movie's shots. fucking awesome. What Paul had the best movie in all three lists. Last Crusade, but at the same time, I don't know if I'd call that an action comedy. The indie films are more adventure than anything else. But Stu put the nice guys on the list, and that movie blows almost as much as Tag. Whoa! Also completely wrong. <laughs> so I have to give it to Paul, but don't hate me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> George Conaway said, "Stu, I don't know you, but I'd put a baby in your list. Pure perfection." So some yeah, lovely, yeah. lovely words. There. I, don't, I don't know the answer, but I'm hoping he wins actually, because then it's not you. So, <laughs> and lastly, then from Ash Broth, he said, yes. "Yeah, Wayne fucked up. Sorry, cuz." Yes. So let's just put you know. this Wayne voting block bullshit to the bed, okay? Uh, well, there is a there is a, a stayer to the Wayne voting block. It was 44 votes in the end. Wayne, you got four votes. Oh, four! In an all-time That's pants low, down. That's straight up pants down. The podcast. So you can shout out personally. Thank. Mina Harker, aka Dan. Thank you. was our top little patron. Jennifer Manson, man. another patron of the show. What up, a girl? And Steve Szetsky for those four votes. Steve, you're my man. And the other, <laughs> the other 40 votes. Pity votes, I love them. It came down to between me and Stu, and it was a tie. 20 votes apiece. Oh, was it? So Australia didn't win, but nor did America. So good try, Chrissini. Well done, Stu. Fantastic effort. But uh, we'll, this will end in a nil all draw, and we will see I'm what happens amazed. moving forward on wow. the show. Wow, okay. Well done there to everyone. We appreciate you getting involved. It's good fun, as, yeah. as always. Uh, we'll see what happens after this week's uh, list, shall we? Well, I couldn't possibly get more fingered. No. Or could I? No, you couldn't. <laughs> I'm sure you're on brief. Oh, no, that's badly, badly chosen words. I hope it's fine. that you're on It'll be fine. brief. All right, then, let's do it. On the other side of this music cue, the top 10 sci-fi films of the 21st century. Take my love, take my land. Take me where I cannot stand I don't care, I'm still free You can't take the sky from me Take me out to the black Tell them I ain't coming back Burn the land and boil the sea You can't take the sky from me The top 10 sci-fi films of the 21st century 
Thank you, Commander Data. Is the topic of this week's countdown. All right, uh, Wayne, why don't you lead us away? Sure, the, since the, this isn't brief, my thing, really. The brief is pretty straightforward. so It is, plus this is more Paul's thing than mine. So Probably. I'm going to... Yeah, a little. Although you'll see some very Wayne-ish pics here. There we go. Like this one. Everyone, ladies and gentlemen, number 10, Signs. Signs. Yeah, that's a sci-fi film. Yeah, Aliens invading. Now, here's the thing about Signs, everyone. You got your Mel Gibson. You got your that cute little girl. I can't remember her name. She's grown up to be a bit of an actress now, a child actress now. Uh, you know, and it, Joaquin Phoenix. It's not Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, and it's about aliens, people. But the thing, and the reason I like this show because it's a PG film, okay? And it's about a widowed former reverend, which is Mel Gibson. He's living with his children and brother on a Pennsylvania farm, and they find these mysterious crop circles in their fields, and that suggests something more frightening. So this is M. Sh- M. Night Shyamalan's take on those crop circle pokes. Mm-hmm whatever things that were supposedly done by aliens mm-hmm. except he's turning it into actual aliens now i already was like intrigued although alien films well i'm fine with it whatever i like the idea whatever you know but what the way he puts this together and i'll always remember this moment of the first time you see the alien or at least an alien's leg in this film is when the kids are all at some party and someone's shooting from a video camera and they're all like saying something you're not quite sure and finally you see in the distance Something comes out of the field of corn that was there. Oh, and they all shit their pants. And I shat my pants, everyone. It was really, really well done. I've seen other people say the same thing online. I just uh, Really? That doesn't affect me. That's that because thing. you're used to people getting rogered with a fucking blight or some shit like that. Blight. Like, blight can't. So it's like, uh, but uh, having said all that, that's like an aspect of the film which made it like a really good slow reveal. But then once it became, you know, an alien film and they came and this and all that shit stuff... The actual characters themselves and how they were like having their last meal and they were sitting there going like, all right, that's it. Basically thinking they're going to die because the aliens are coming. We're going to have everyone's favorite meal. And they just cooked everything. So someone picked teriyaki chicken, someone picked this. Mm-hmm. And they just cooked it all and ate it. And then you can see Mel Gibson kind of freaking out. And he's like, oh, I'm having some of everyone's. You know, and all of those types of moments in the film made me really, really like it. I actually think this is his second best film. Yep. Behind I assume in Sixth Sense. No. Uh, actually, see the thing that uh, okay, maybe there's a tie with the Sixth Sense and another one that happens to be What's on my your list. Favorite? No, 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 don't no, say it because it's on my list. I oh, it's coming up. I okay. reckon I've got two M Nights in here. Okay, so I'm already nailing my shit down. All right? Ooh, yeah, damn. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Worked out what it is. Okay. Yeah, surprising. All right, my number ten is the newest film on my list. It came out a couple of years ago, and we're about to see its sequel. That will finish the story. It's Denis Villeneuve's Dune. 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 Yes. Uh, yes, Dune. So. Denis Villeneuve. Um, Two hours and 35 minutes. I don't recall. My recollection is you didn't like it anywhere near as much no, as I did. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. That's why you watched it on your stupid little screen. <laughs> Everyone says this is like if you didn't watch it on um, you know, the side of a space shuttle, then, you know, and I guess I, I just submitted that, yes, you're right. It probably does need to be seen on the screen. Although, Paul, if it can't handle the small screen, is it that good? I think it was great anyway. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to rewatching it in the lead up to seeing the second part. Did you see the first one? I mean, the, in, in oh, the, the David Lynch one? David Lynch with... Which, is, which you can't really compare, but... No, because it tries to do the whole film in like 100 minutes or 120 yeah. minutes, whatever it is. And did you read the Frankie Herbert? I, years and years ago, when I was a teenager, I tried reading June. It's just, it just was too slow for me. Mm. Back, okay. in those, back in those times, maybe I'd appreciate it more now if I gave it another bash. But this film is visually striking. It has some amazing sequences in terms of how good it looks. The battle scenes are fucking cool. Jason Momoa's never been cool, and that includes playing Aquaman in this movie as <laughs> Duncan, I think his name from memory, in the role. And then you've got uh, your favourite, Rebecca Ferg. Ferg. Oh, yeah. And Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, 
of course, Timothy Chalamet. Tim Chow. Uh, Chalamet? Chalamet. Chalamet, yeah, yeah. that's more like it. Uh, who is a bit of the it boy at the moment. So, yeah, it's got a hell of a cast. A bunch of other people too, including Zendaya, of course, like, towards the end of the film, and Dave Bautista. Zendaya's character will be much more important, I think, in the second one. Can't wait to see how that, all, that shit all goes down and how Paul Atreides comes to fulfill his destiny when's on it, when's it June, coming? November, I think. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if it was in June? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> November, eh? Okay. Yeah, so. Oh, look, I'm definitely going to see this one on the on the big screen. Yeah. yeah, look, that idea of the whole, the blades that people use because of the armor that doesn't, like, bullets can't get through. It's, it's very cool and interesting and complex, and I'm kind of surprised that it's come so far, but there you are, Dune. Not right. bad. What do you got next? Right, so uh, number nine is another PG film, amazingly. I'm just noticing this now as I'm looking at the list. But it's uh, it's actually War for the Planet of the Apes, Paul. Hmm. Yeah, the last film. of the trilogy. Now, yep. this is the one where after the apes suffer all these ima- unimaginable losses from the first two films. Three films? First two films. This is the third one. Third one, yeah. Caesar, which is the main ape, uh, he wrestles with his darker instincts and begins like, his own mythic quest to avenge his kind against a very cruel Woody Harrelson character who is represents the human army. And the reason this is my number nine here is that this movie has actually got quite a few balls in that. It pretty much, like, forced perspective makes you follow the apes the whole time. Any other holy CGI film would say, okay, let's switch between the humans and the apes, the humans and the apes. This one right here, as you're watching the apes interact and you got the face and the Andy Circus and all that sort of stuff, I straight up forgot that I was watching CGI apes. For a yeah, most of the film. Very impressive looking for Amazing. sure. Amazing. It's probably the best in terms of that, I want to say subtle CGI. No, the whole thing is CGI because it's the apes and stuff like that. But that pulling off the fact that I forgot that I was watching that and I was reacting to Caesar and whoever and whatever, uh, you know, as though they were, I guess, normal human actors and seeing the, the emotion on their face yeah. and all this sort of stuff. I reckon that this is the most CGI triumph. And that's why I was like, this Matt Reeves might be the shit. Mm. You know I mean, like this guy is pretty fucking good. Then he goes and does Batman. He's obviously on his way, this guy, you know, but he's on his way in this elegant kind of not art house, but Neo kind of, I don't know. It's an interesting way, but like War for the Planet of the Apes, my favorite of the three. Yeah. Although two. number two was good. Number two was great. Yeah, I like two the least. I like one, three, one, two for me. Yeah. Three, one, two. Hmm, okay, interesting. War of the Planet of the Apes. My number nine, Polly. Very nice. My number nine is also a PG-rated film. It's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. It's Gravity. Starring great. Sandra, great. Sandy B and Georgie C. And they are two astronauts out in space. Calamity happens and Sandra Bullock gets knocked away from the destroyed sort of shuttle slash yeah, station that yeah. they're on and is trying to survive as she floats around in space and how things go from there. That scene with George Clooney... And he gets cut off, and he's like, mm-hmm. like that always gets me because he's just like, well, I may be George Clooney, but I know I'm about to die, and uh, I'm just gonna talk to you now and let myself to, hey, here's what's happening. Here's and he knows he's gonna die. He's just floating off the space. I actually think that's a lot scarier than a lot of other deaths, if you ask me. You're just sitting there with your thoughts until you run out of fucking oxygen. Yeah, that would be hard. That is, fu- and then you're just like literally in the middle of nowhere, and that's all you're doing. There's no more alone way to die, although mm-hmm. you would argue that everyone dies alone. But yeah, no, it's amazing. And this is an honorable mention for me, mm-hmm. uh, only because probably I've talked about it. My, or at least thought about it. I don't think I talk about it that often. But yeah, It's an incredibly looking, looking film, particularly, particularly, especially, two words there combining. The first half an hour or so where there's some Dude. really long extended shots as, as is Quaron's like. So the, um, preference. 
I think people rag on this one because of the physics thing where, you know, he gets getting pulled and they couldn't pull him back up and that kind of thing. It's like, that's not what would happen. If just one little jerk on the thing would get him back towards you because mm. of perpetual motion. I didn't know any of that shit and it doesn't matter because I'm watching a movie. So I'm down with that. I remember being blown away watching this at the cinema and how immersive it was. Oh, it's amazing. And it's only 90 minutes or 91 minutes long. So it's you're in, you're out and it's done. It doesn't doesn't feel the need to bloat itself like so many sci-fi films, but especially Hollywood recent films tend to do. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? The, I didn't realize until maybe halfway through the film that the rebirth, like, because the, the, the imagery of Reamer like, is quite overt. It's quite like, you know, you see her sort of in the fetal position floating and there's mm-hmm. an umbilical cord, which is actually... Yep. Uh, but it still works really well because you're like, oh, I see. Oh, I see. She's emerging from the water. Bah, bah, bah. Really cool. Yep. Nicely said. All right, All right, what's your number eight? My number eight is uh, a movie that I think gets overlooked a lot and it's probably unsung, even though it's a Spielberg film. War of the Worlds. Yeah. I know you had a problem with the kid at the end, okay? <laughs> I know you had a problem with that, Paul. But let's go past that for a second here. War of the Worlds. I remember when it came out, I was talking with a bunch of folks about it. And there's another guy who is not that well known to me, but he's very much a cinephile like us. Mm-hmm. And he actually said to me before I saw it, he said, this may be one of the greatest cinematic experiences of my life. That's what he said to me. Wow. Right? And I went, all right, well, if you're going to spew that kind of thing, i got to go see it. Not that I wasn't going to, right? Because Tom Cruise is in it, right? Um, T to the C. T to the C, L fanning, whatever. Something, it's, it's a spectacular film about terror, loss, and hopelessness. And yeah, it's Steven Spielberg. But I remember loving the effects with like the dustifying lasers. And then the farming, like, was, it's just, it was chilling without being gory. And that's what sort of worked for me. Yeah, there's definitely some scary moments in this. And there's a couple of... <laughs> You know, this is Spielberg in the 21st century. He's not as effective as he was last century, but there's Completely. some awesome scenes. Bro, the there's a shot when they're in the car and escaping. It's going around and around the car, which is really impressive. That was the shit. And you know what? I think, to my mind, this is the most un-Tom Cruise-y role that Tom Cruise played. He played sort of a slightly asshole father, but then you see him, like, he's just such fiercely a father protecting his kids. Yeah. I mean, that basement kid with Tim Robbins. Robbins yeah. That was chilling. It's actually burned into my brain because it's like he's making noise and it's like he just goes, kids, get into the other room. I can't allow you to let us be discovered. And he just closes the door. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking to myself, would you? Because he killed him, right? Yeah. Can you knock him out? I guess that would make too much noise. Yeah, he killed him. And that was like, holy shit. And that's what you would do because it's either that or you and your kids die. Exactly. So, and that motherfucker was crazy anyway. It was. So, like, it's it's a really, really good film. And although it's the H.G. Wells, well, who's H.G. Wells? No, yeah. who is it? H.G. Wells? And at the end or whatever, the, the whole, hey, they can't breathe our atmosphere thing, it was handled quite well because they walked out and you see these big tripod thingies. Uh, no, was it? They couldn't breathe? Yeah, of course I couldn't. Had whatever, but it was the germs. Look, they couldn't get a, they couldn't get a, they get, they get a cold. But then the what germs was... killed. But then, you know, you, the whole movie, they got the force fields and then finally Tom Cruise goes to the... to the Because they're walking out and you see the triffids or whatever in the backyard. And he's like, hey, look at the birds. The bird had landed on one of them. Mm. It's like, shit, that thing doesn't work. Hey, army guy. Fucking fire an RPG at it. Boom, bang, and they took him out and they all got fucked up. And it was a really cool way of doing it, I thought. So rather than see them come out and emerge and go, <coughs> and then die, this was way cooler. So <laughs> there you go. War of the Worlds, my number eight, ladies and gentlemen. Nice, nicely done. My number eight is a film we've talked a bit about on the show over the years. And it's because it's underappreciated and underseen. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, people don't give it the credit they should. It's Danny Boyle's Sunshine from yeah. 2007, as written by. Alex Garland is starring Killian Murphy, a bit of the it guy at the moment. This is a, a movie about the sun, effectively, is going to die and have to reignite it. And they send off a ship to do so, which disappears and send off the second ship, Icarus 2. Mm-hmm. I think it is. And a cast on there, including Killian Murphy's, I can't remember what his role is, but Kappa and Rose Byrne and Chris Evans and Michelle Yeoh and Cliff Curtis. And 
Hiroyuki Sanada, who's from Bullet Train. Yep, you got to have a Japanese guy on there. And off they go to try and save the Earth and, and how things unfold from there. Now, with this film, the like I think you and I said this when it came out. So this might be the one of the most beautiful films yeah, I've ever seen. Stunning. Right? So Danny Boyle right there knows how to shoot a camera. And it's not... Camera. It does change genres at a certain point and become a bit of something else, now, which some people don't like. But it's very introspective throughout. It's very like this existential idea of... They, most, they know they're going. They're probably not going to come back. Like They, they hope they will. And yeah. the, the plans are there for it, but they're all prepared to die. Because what choice do they have? Kind of what we were just talking about before. If it's everyone else or you, yep. what are you really going to do? And that's what he said. They said that none of us is more important than this mission. Mm-hmm. And then, the, But the cool thing is that, that that ship that's going towards the sun and those moments where like, I can't remember what character is, is sitting in the front viewing deck yep, room. With the sun. Taking the sun, like giving it like, you know, changing the resolution or whatever it is, the, the shade. That's all very cool. And yes, it does turn into a horror movie. Basically, which of course is we're gonna make Paul shit his pants. Yep. So that's works I'm, for me. Absolutely. These films that go from one to the other, they seldom they either catch a very specific audience and no one else, like like from Dustal Dawn, mm-hmm. or you know, and that's yeah, I can see what this happened this way. It's a very bold move, I reckon, but it was really cool. Yeah, definitely cool. There you are. If you've never seen Sunshine, get into it. If that sounds like it's your jam at all. Hells yeah. My number seven, ladies and gentlemen, is my second M Night film. Which I think is really quite a masterpiece. It's Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Okay, worked it out eventually. Yeah. So here's the thing about Unbreakable. Yeah, Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, and essentially it is Bruce Willis who is like he's David Dunn. He's a security guard. He's coping with a marriage on the brink of collapse. He manages to survive this this horrific train crash without a single injury, even though it killed or fucked up most of the people. And his status as the one lone survivor of the crash attracts the attention of Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Who is, a, who is a man who's born with a brittle bone disease and he's obsessed with comic books after growing up with that condition. And essentially, it is an extremely grounded superhero origin story, but you would never know that until towards the like, you know, like second, third act of the film. There's no costumes, there's no gimmicks, and it's a film that it just values the story and character above expensive set pieces at all costs. I think like the most action-y scene was, they, they, I, I, you know, it's him in a, Almost I've watched this movie once. I watched this movie really? once in 2000. It did come out in 2000. Yeah. But. Oh, there you go. That's right. Oh, that's fine. Yep. As I said, not going to hold you to task for that. All good, good. <laughs> yeah, I watched it and I enjoyed it. I liked it. I've just never felt the need to go back to it, but you love the shit out of this one. It's because, like, so I remember my sister saw it and she goes, When you got to see this? I'm like, Why? She goes, I'm not saying shit to you, but you got to see it, right? So then I go see it and I'm like, Oh, I guess it's like the sixth thing. I don't know what, what had come up by then, whatever. I was just, yeah, I just had no second, expectations. Second film, I think. But then, like, as as uh, you go through and and then Sam Jackson is saying, well, superhero films are like, oh, the superhero comics are like this, you know. Often the 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 hero and the villain are friends, and this and and it's for them to fold this initially very boring because David Dunn is presented as kind of a loser to start with, mm-hmm. like he's no one special. He's no one special, and then you see he's a security guard and he's got a bit of a you know he knows how to actually like get people out of line and stuff like that. Then for it to turn into a superhero movie after completely blindsiding me by just making it, and it was interesting enough to watch, that was like, I am so impressed. I even struggled to call it a superhero film because it's nothing like Marvel. Unfortunately, they fucked it up with that fucking third with oh, that God. thing. Ass. That was it. Ass. Fuck, glass was shit. Anyway, this film remains the tits, I reckon. So I love the fact that this is the most sincere representation of you could just be anyone, but you happen to have any of these powers are just not... They're not particularly like he's just really strong and shit, and he's he's got a vulnerability to water. Something that could happen to anyone, and it's like oh, he's, he's sort of oh, it dawns God. upon him yeah. that he's actually a superhero. That's cool. 
So there you go. No, it was, it was um, different and certainly did catch people unawares. Oh, yeah. Cemented Shyamalan's nature of or reputation for twist endings, which would haunt him through the rest of his career. <laughs> oh, totally. Still does today, I think. <laughs> All right, my number seven might get a, a bit of a rise out of you, Wayne. This might be one you left off the list because you do talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. It's also stars T to the Sea. T to the Sea. It's 2000 and was it Edge of Tomorrow from 2014. <laughs> it's on my list. It is on your list. Okay. Yeah, but let's talk about it. Directed by Doug Lyman. This is a movie where Tom Cruise is a cowardly kind of officer who doesn't get in the front line and Earth is at war with a bunch he's of not them. cowardly. He's just a PR guy for the army who happens to be a soldier and never went to war. Cowardly. Which is the same guy I would be <laughs> If I was in the army. <laughs> no doubt. I would no, not be any different. But anyway, for the purpose of this film, he kind of doesn't want to fight. Oh, 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 and then gets made to fight. And it gets invading aliens who have the capacity to seem to know what's coming or whatever. Mm-hmm. It happens. Turns out. Second guess the humans. When he gets hit by, is it the blood? I can't even yeah, remember. he gets uh, blood of one of the, whatever the bugs are called yep, or whatever. It goes on him. And now he, Flash, every time he dies, and die he does, a lot in this movie. If you ever mm-hmm. wanted to see Tom Cruise die, this is the movie for you. He goes back in time 24 hours and relives it all over and over again. This becomes a time loop movie and it's how the aliens always know what's going to happen and why they're defeating the offensives against them. But even cooler is that his advantage of being able to come back each time he dies, right, is taken away from him at one stage. He's like, oh, fuck, it's too late. It's too late. So now if, next time I die, it's going to be for real. Mm-hmm. And he's then, go, then the stakes go higher. And it's like, oh, I know Paul thinks the movie bitches out at the end, okay? I think it does too. Yeah, I do not. I think it's <laughs> so the best I agree with myself. I think it does too. <laughs> But like uh, the it's, it, this is a sci-fi Groundhog Day, but in the best possible way, with a right? bit of Emily Blunt supporting. Emily action. Blunt being a badass like yoga ass woman—that's the shit. And again, it's so hard to do one of these movies where you're just replaying the same scene over and over. And Doug Lyman really nails it by at the by the fiftieth time or whatever he's come back. He's only giving you snippets to show you bits, and it still works. You're not bored, and no, you're not you know it doesn't no, feel repetitive. Not boring at all. Yeah. Very so, good film, very amazing. enjoyable. We'll see how high it goes on Wayne's list. That's my number seven. Wayne, what's your number six? My number six is a T to the C film, and what? it's Minority Report, oh, baby. Of course it is. Now, Minority Report, everyone. Here is Steven Spielberg's Len Wiseman stage. Um, yes. What, blue light? Yes, the, mo- the movie looks blue and white as fuck. Actually, Len Wiseman's bluer, but this is like Steve, and he's obviously going for aesthetic. He's like, oh, it's, it's in the it. future. It's the future, it's clean, it's whitey, yellowy, blue, tinge of blue. And it's about, you know, it's a Philip K. Dick story, I yep. believe. It was pulled, And Tom Cruise is this, I don't, I guess he's a scientist or some no, sort. No, he's a police officer. He's a police, he's a police officer. officer. He is a police officer. And he's using precogs to basically predict someone, the murder of yeah. someone. In Minority Report, precognitive humans who are born with this capacity and are basically farmed to be able to do this can see the future. And then they send out this, I can't remember what they're called, these officers to go and arrest people. Mm-hmm before they commit the crime that they are going to commit. That's right. Which then opens up a whole world of, would they really have done it? Yes. Are we, are we 100% sure about that? Is there any proof of this? And then all the machinations and the conspiracy theories behind Absolutely. That. And then the way that they explain it is like, you know, Tom Cruise throws the ball and then the guy catches it. Like he rolls it around a catch. He goes, listen, you caught that ball, uh, but if you weren't there, it would have dropped. So it's definitely going to drop. The fact that you weren't there to catch. He, he pulls this kind of like, that's how he, you know. Anyway, that aside, mm-hmm. right? Here's where I found out that Colin, what's his Farrell. name? Colin Farrell is an amazing actor. I'm sorry. He, he blew me away in this film as a guy who I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Acting across from Tom Cruise and absolutely nailing it. All of the action in this shit is wicked. The gadgets are the bomb, including <laughs> that really cool 
shotgun shockwave thing where he flips it around and boom and fires a shockwave at someone and throws them back against the wall. That's the shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did also learn that uh, you know how he uses his fingers to control the computer instead of a keyboard or something, which right. is really cool. I tried something like that in a VR setup. It is exhausting, Paul. <laughs> After ten minutes of you try ten minutes, one five minutes of you <laughs> trying to use your fingers to control a mouse, you'll be puffed out, my friend. So that's uh, you know turns out not to be cool, but. Yeah, loved this film. I actually was amazed at how good it was, and it was probably something that made me go, "No, no, sci-fi is absolutely potentially on my on my list of things that I like watching." <laughs> ballsy, stupid, but ballsy. Because other than that, it's Star Trek, and that's it. <laughs> this is two thousand, Paul. I was still a youngster. Two thousand two. This. What about your beloved, fucking ridiculous? Uh, prequel Star Wars series. What was that? What year was that? No, was 9 was a fan of Menace and then the subsequent... Oh, tweet. Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose to me, Star Wars is... It's definitely sci-fi, but to me, it's Star Wars. <laughs> it, what? It's its own thing. <laughs> well, amazing that you would mention Star Trek because my number six is the 2009 reboot J.J. Abrams Oh, Star dude, Trek. that was my... my I, I just kicked that off the list. Oh, fantastic. Great call. Fucking love this movie. This is, I didn't know you liked it so much. I own it on 4K. I've watched this movie now four times. Is that because like it's the, this is the test movie that everyone uses? How good is your 4K player or whatever? You test it with Star Wars, it looks, Star Trek. It looks pretty damn good. watched it not that long ago with my daughter, who did not love the movie, unfortunately. So moved it's... one step closer to being asked to leave the house. <laughs> I get that like a youngster would... Because the whole thing about Star Trek, this reboot, is that you're like... I mean, this is where I thought to myself, this Chris Pine fellow, whoever he is... Has got absolute gravitas. Because to play Kirk without playing Kirk, because anyone would be like, look, Spock, we didn't take a <laughs> shit, right? But he's not doing that, but it's still very Kirky. So th- this is an amazing film. T- Star Trek is so exciting. It is quite Kirk and Kirkenating? Kirkenating, yes, it's Kirk and Hyman. Uh, you definitely recognize what he's doing and he's, he's pulling it off. So he's good. I think the whole cast, this is a really well put together cast from Zachary Quinto as Spock to. Perfect Spock. To Carl uh, Urban as McCoy. Mm hmm. So and of course Simon Pegg coming in as, as Scotty as well. So yeah, I'm a fan, big fan of this. Sulu, John Cho, of course. So Zoe Saldana is awesome as Uhura too. So it's just I can't think of a better cast than what they did here. And then it's exciting and entertaining. And I lost my daughter with the sort of timey wimey stuff when Spock is you know in two places at once. And now that's probably yeah. going to lose you. But like the whole part of it was that the fact that. Like, I remember, like, when, when this came up, people were just saying, what this movie is, is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exciting. They're jumping off a thing and they're, like, free-falling and doing all that cool shit. Yep. And then, um, and then yeah. The guy the, Anton Yelchin, too, of course, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, then the, the red shirt guy dies and they jump down to that platform. Exactly. Hilarious. That was the gag also. And that, that's what I liked about it. It did so much, but this is actually the cleanest. It did so much heavy lifting with, like, rebooting it, saying, okay, well, this is, because we've got the old Spark, and we, you know, this kind of thing. This is now the continuation of the mm-hmm. Kelvin. Is it the Kelvin thing? Kel- they call it the Kelvin. Kelvin yeah. okay. timeline. Yeah. Timeline. I obviously love number two, and I'm the only person on the planet who did. And I didn't even my eye on Star Trek. I don't remember hating number two. I just don't remember loving it like you did. So here's what happened, right? That was remaking the Wrath of Khan. Yes, right? but they were hiding that they were, and they kept saying, "No, no, 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 he's not Khan. He's not yeah. Khan. He's not well, Khan." Well, I didn't know that they were denying it. And then when Benedict Cumberbatch, I am Khan. I'm like, "Oh my god, it's fucking Ricardo Montalban!" But but him. And I was like, "That's the shit." Where's the plane? Exactly. But then, like, because like, the Wrath of Khan was such a respected one, it's like, "Oh, we're doing." That. I thought it was great. And also, Spock doesn't die in this one. It's Jim Kirk? Mm. No, it's all good. I don't see why everyone had a problem with this one. It was great. Anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, the the third one, Beyond, seems to have 
cap the, the series, and that was barely no, no. okay. Well, what it is now, because the fourth one was supposed to be Chris Hemsworth and yeah. Chris Penn, and they're both too expensive now, baby. Yep. So, you know. Never got off the ground. But anyway, 2009 Star Trek, great film. Do check Fantastic. it out. Even the sun, the lens flares. Don't mind them. Yeah. Didn't mind them. <laughs> <laughs> that was still enough early days of J.J. Abrams' directing career. Most deaf. Well, my number five, ladies and gentlemen, is a film that I've always carried a torch for, uh, and it's one of those ones that most people haven't seen, although maybe the kids on this show, listeners, you, you'd know it. Equilibrium. Oh, I forgot about this. Equilibrium. Now, check this out. Here you mm. have Christian Bale, Sean Bean, of course he does, um, <laughs> Tay Diggs, um, and a couple other folks, but more importantly, this, this film here is set in an oppressive future where what happened was they've had the Third World War. And everyone's all like, what the fuck? That's fucked up. And they tr- in the knee-jerk reaction to the horrors of that world war, the survivors outlaw what they blame to be the chaos creator, i.e. Emotions. emotions. So they actually, you have to, in this new society, take drugs to suppress your emotions. And of course, the rebel alliance are people who want to feel shit. So that's the premise of the film. But Christian Bale plays one of the, I guess, enforcers, policemen, whatever, who actually go around making sure that people don't feel. And he, in doing so, they've got this thing called the gun cutter, <laughs> which is just ridiculous, but great. Cause but they very cool. Very cool. They both have these like Robocop pistols that they carry in their jacket pockets for some reason. And what happens is whenever they're in a room and there's like a million people shooting at them, by employing the gun cutter and shooting over your shoulder, under your arm, on your dick. The statistical most likely, you occupy the space which is least likely for a bullet to hit you which in is, yeah. whilst firing your own bullets and taking out your opponent. But it's so cool! All right? So it's like martial arts with it guns. Is so, it's a, yeah, kind of literally. So it's like... And the way that they put the, the way that they filmed it... Um, who's this guy? Uh, what's his name? Kurt Wimmer? Yeah. Um, Written and directed by Kurt Wimmer. The only good film he's ever the made. The only, because everything else is a bag of dicks. So yeah. this is like his one thing. But And look, it's 2002 CGI. So, you know... Um, not everything works. Not everything works. But uh, uh, the because he was like... The first time you see the gun cutter in an actual room, he's in a dark room, and the only blazes of like light are when his guns, the flare of his gunshots. And the camera's moving while he does it, and it's kind of amazing, to be honest with you. I always thought it was cool. Plus, this is a movie which has amazing plot, amazing acting, and amazing action. Because the actual... Actually, in this is top fucking notch. Yeah, I like it. I love that's a great choice, and I don't. I would have it on my list. So well done. I'm glad you brought it up. Equilibrium. Number, number Kurt Wimmer, by the way, has only directed four films and written and directed three. The next one, Ultraviolet, was a massive steaming pile of turds. Ultraviolet was a piece of shit. Mila Jovovich, <laughs> and then uh, Children of the Corn remake no in idea, 2020. I haven't even I haven't seen that one. Oh, and now he's recently he's, he's a writer on Expendables, Expendable Fobbles, or whatever oh, the fuck it is. Fuck. Oh, you know. And he also wrote, worked as a writer on Salt, Law Abiding Citizens, your favourite Street Kings, and the Total Recall remake. And the Point Break remake, because that film fucking sucks. <laughs> Street Kings? Mm. I didn't so even mind Salt. I thought Salt was good. Oh, wait, was hit it? and miss yeah. would yeah. be this gentleman. He's totally hit and miss. There you are. Yeah, okay. So that's your number five. My number five. My number five is a film which I like for a whole number of reasons, including it allows us to use silly South African accents. It's District 9. <laughs> This is a new Siberian list and well-deserved because it is an amazing film. Please go on. My recollection of going to see this movie was with a random person I was dating at the time and they came out and said, didn't like this one much. And I'm like, uh-huh. I so remember. That didn't last. Well, that's another. <laughs> that's another not show. even the one you're thinking of. There's a different person. So a couple of times I've gone, oh, okay. Oh, you tested out hoes with this show. Well. <laughs> definitely did not test out women. 
I simply realised that if you don't like this movie and I love it so much, we don't have a lot in common. I actually don't ascribe to that theory at all because I've been out with women who like shit that are different to me and I respected her choice in that. Yeah, that's good too. She did not respect mine. But that's not because so I, I tend to like I if I think you're cool as a as a as a person or chick in this case because like women this this person clearly wasn't cool enough let's just put it that way yeah but anyway look this film is a thinly veiled swipe at racism and it follows aliens who have been forced to land in Johannesburg from a visionary director Neil Blomkamp and uh, they linger there Wayne in shanty towns linger linger <laughs> linger. <laughs> Mock. Yeah, no, this is... Um, I didn't expect it to be so good, honestly. Yeah, and it does this whole... It starts out as a mockumentary thing following... Uh, and switches perspective. It does. And Paul didn't mind. Vickers van der Merv is, is Chateau Copley's character. Copley's and he's basically yeah. a government drone who's enforced or, or tasked with keeping the prons, as they call them, mm-hmm. the aliens, their numbers in the right places and doing the right things and enforcing stuff. And he's, he's, he's an asshole government bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. And ultimately meets the fate of starting to turn into one of these aliens through a series of things that happen in the film. Mm-hmm. And now he's on the run trying to survive and the aliens come to his aid because they're actually good creatures. Yes. They're not evil. They're not nasty. They're just trying to survive and they're treated like second-class citizens. And if you think about where this film was set, it's not hard to... Oh, it's uh, an apartheid play for yeah, sure. ...to oh. work it out from there. And it looks fucking amazing. The special effects in this film for the budget are incredible. And that's where Neil Bombkamp gets his shit going. He's never made a good movie ever since. His next one, I think, was Elysium. And then fucking crappy. crappy. Chappy. I've never seen crappy, but like the one thing about Neil Baumkamp films, and I've read this somewhere and I agree, the weapons in his film are cool. Yeah. Like the, even the gun that the aliens use, which is whatever. That, and Elysium was the best of all. Like all of this shit in Elysium is fucking sweet, except for the plot and the movie <laughs> top. Yeah. So. <laughs> which is a shame. Yes. Uh, yeah. And at one stage, he was going to do the next alien film, and then that got taken away by. Ridley, fuck you, how dare you fuck with my shit, Scott. Imagine how cool the Pulse Rifles would have been. Mm. <laughs> right, that's my number five, District 9. Nice one. My number four. Paul, question for you. If you knew that in the future, something terrible would befall you, like the death of a child or something uh, similarly unthinkable. This is going to win you the vote just all on its own. Okay. Would you still go through it? knowing that you'd have the option of avoiding it. Would you do that, Paul? If you knew some bad shit was about to happen, would you just go ahead with it anyway because that's the life you were cho- that, that's the life you were given? Or would you take steps to n- avoid that? What would you do? I don't know. It's too hard to tell. I would definitely avoid the fuck out of it. I'm not brave. And that's what the question that is posed to you in this film, my number four, Arrival. Mm-hmm. All right. So speaking and of... That's a very long roundabout kind of way what this film's actually about, which is aliens landing. It is aliens landing. But like essentially because uh, Amy Adams uh, is bestowed with basically foresight, you know, she can see into the future. She knows particularly... And it's one of the a million themes that is going through this film. Another Denis Villeneuve film? Yes, or Denvi, as I call him. Um, he, <laughs> uh, first of all, like a lot of his films, beautiful. There are great, amazing shots, wide, wide shots of the alien craft, which is just floating in midair in the middle of this beautiful valley of grass, whatever, like fields. And the ca- no sound. The camera is just panning to the right, kind of slowly, as you're watching this thing. And of course... That it just looks beautiful. So that's the thing about Denis Villeneuve. He's once quoted as saying that these people take our art and call it fucking content, <laughs> which I like about that. I was like, "Yep, nice for you." That's just one way over for sure. Yeah. Also, the way that these the film and the and the scenes are constructed, particularly some of the ways that uh, like Amy Adams drops into the into the 
alien and the way it's filmed with her shooting around and stuff like that it just didn't have to be that good but he's made it that good because he's an artist and even the aliens like language which they throw on a screen it's actually this circle with notches on it it's not even it doesn't even look like a language and that's how they communicate and like <laughs> see this is all very inspired kind of cinematography and and kind of concept. So I just love this film. Paul, not so much. Yeah, I was very bored. Yeah, it's it's a it's a thinker and it's a feeler and it's a bit of a dweller. So, you know, uh, but I love it. I've always loved Arrival. So there you are, my number yep, four. Yep, and I know that most people really do dig this one. So you're in very, very good company. I don't, I don't think it's a bad film. It was just very slow for me. And I saw what was happening, managed to pick this one well in advance of the review. Really? Yeah. Damn. Okay. okay. You know, sometimes you get it right, sometimes, oftentimes you get it wrong. My number four. However, is one that Ryan Johnson didn't get wrong. Ah, Looper. It is Looper, starring, of course, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. Great film. Another timey-wimey one where, in effect, in the future, they send back people to be shot and killed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. And then one day, himself gets sent back and because they can travel backwards in time. Mm -hmm. And it's Bruce Willis. And so these two form this unlikely partnership to try to stop him ultimately being killed. But then things take another turn in another direction. When it turns out this great big, I can't remember what the name of the, the huge mob boss is. It's not the mob boss so much, but it was like the fact that you've got this. Yes, it's sci-fi insofar as that killers are turning. Because the thing is, in the future, you can't kill anyone without them being traced. Yep. That's how it is. So the only way that these future gangsters use, you kill them and send them back in time. No, not even oh, kill no, them. Sorry. You send them back You in send time the killer back in time to kill them before they could trace the body, right? That's the idea here. No, wait. No, you send the person back who's going to be killed. That's right. You send the person yes. and then the, the bad guy in the yep. past slash present kills them. Right. So that was it. But um, what was cool about it was, on top of that, is the threat of this all-encompassing sort of being that has like psychic or telekinetic powers that can fuck up the whole world. And that's just woven in. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, this is this is great. And also, yeah, that's why it's called a looper because they close the looper people and themselves, their loop has to be closed at some point. Yes, and then you go back with, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the, um, what was cool about this as well. There's an opening scene with Paul Dano in it, which you kind of, where he's like, you know, in the f- from him in the future, they're telling him to come to somewhere by scratching it in his arm or whatever. And you see him losing limbs as he runs towards a barn. I've never seen that happen before. So it's amazing. It's just, this, the, yeah. Brian Johnson is the shit. He just fucked up the second Star Wars. <laughs> There's a review here from someone named Harlequin Quinabi on Letterboxd saying, does Ryan Johnson ever call Christopher Nolan, start laughing and then hang up? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is so much better as a sci-fi film than apparently anything Christopher Nolan's done. I disagree. That, that I would, don't know about that. That would be the, the conclusion you could draw from there. Mm, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah good, funny. good choice, my friend. Good Thank choice. You. My number three is none other than Avatar. I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for this. Wow. Here's okay. the thing. Avatar, when I saw it, 2009, I go to the cinema. This was during the time of 3D when people thought that would be a thing and Paul even had a 3D TV. Did? I got to say that I've never enjoyed the 3D experience except in this film. I sit in there, I put those glasses on, and I'm sitting there for three hours and I really felt like I was in that Pandora world. And I know all of the Fern Gully and jokes and Pocahontas jokes or whatever. I don't care. Dances with wolves. I don't care. It's just a very, like, movies always have, a, you know, notes that you pull through. You can answer all kinds of shits like that. The, the point is, it engaged me and entertained me for three hours. It was so cool. You know, guy from Rockingham in Perth who was in the lead. That was quite a nice <laughs> thing. But the, the fact that it got me so long and then it became this worldwide phenomenon. This is the thing about James Cameron, right? 
He just doesn't fuck up. Doesn't seem to. He does moonshots that always fucking hit. What the fuck? I don't know what's going on with him, but he's the tits. You know he never went to school, film school, Paul? Mm-hmm. He was a truck driver who taught himself by going to the library and photocopying books on filmmaking. He's like, I got a, I got like a, you know, $100,000 education for like 12 bucks. And I'm like, you, my friend, are the shit. So, uh, you know, that's why I love Avatar. It's very hard to argue with that. He has... Knocked it out of the park yet again with Avatar 2 in terms of the money that it's making. So No, that's the only way that you knock shit out of the park in Hollywood. But I, yeah, for sure. But I have never managed to watch the whole Avatar again. I did. I actually watched it on TV one time, right? Yeah, we started watching it at home, trying to get my daughter into it, but she wasn't at all impressed by the visuals and lost interest, so we turned it off, and we've never gone back to it. Interesting. Um, Yeah, look. But it's a visual visual smorgasbord. Just wish the story was a bit more entertaining or better. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, look, the bad, the big bad general guy in the fucking mix suit and Lang, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, yeah, it got me. So there you are. Avatar, my number three, ladies and gentlemen. Right enough, my number three is one that's dear to our hearts, Wayne, but maybe not everyone else's. It's a bit of a niche choice. It's the culmination of an unfairly and too soon gone TV show called Firefly. Oh, yeah. I'm yes. talking about Serenity. Serenity, great show. Look, if you've never seen Firefly, you're just not going to gel with what I'm about to say here, but this is directed, written, directed by, of course, Joss Whedon. And it, it wraps up most of the storylines, or at least the important ones, from his TV show Firefly. And it follows a ragtag group of rebels, basically, in this universe who are led by, of course, Captain Reynolds, Nathan Fillion. Yep. And uh, has all these people in there, some cool characters. I'm not going to go through them all, but basically, we are finding out some of the answers to this universe in such a cool fucking way. It was the first event screen Wayne and I, well, I got to go to when I went and saw it together. Yeah. Brown Coats is the, was the online community. Ah! People Back in 2005, it's almost 20 years ago. Can you believe that, Wayne? I had never seen cosplay before, and so and it's like seriously, the people who were dressed, there's probably like I don't know, 20 of them in the whole audience, right? But geez, they went hard. Yeah, there was and, more people dressed up for Barbie the other night. That's for sure. Oh my god, that was huge. You know what's cool about Serenity? This is what I call the Transformers the movie syndrome. You have a TV show, and it's got a certain level of quality. And and don't get me wrong, I mean like Firefly was always the bomb, mm-hmm. right? The, the few episodes we got, they're all great. Then you go see the movie, and they've amped everything up. They got bigger budgets. They got a harsher script. In Transformers, the movie compared to the cartoon, there's robot, there's robots dying. There's like huge, bigger right. set design. Yeah. The story, the movie, the idea is much, much bigger, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened here in Serenity. Big, huge consequences. Big, huge like you know character deaths. This, that, whatever, and the idea of the Reavers and this that is such a good idea. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, this is also an honorable mention for me. Ooh, okay. Didn't quite crack the list, but fair enough. My number three, Serenity. Serenity. Since now. I found Serenity. There's <laughs> your fucking... Yep, there's outro. my opener. Yeah. Oh, outro, yeah, okay, cool. All right, so uh, my number two is The Edge of Tomorrow, Paul, so we're back to you. Ooh, my number two. Here's one of the two films, which... This is the one that's least sci-fi, arguably, on my list. It's set in a dystopian future, and the sci-fi element is women have stopped having babies, but we can find a way of getting them to have babies again. Uh, of course. It's my second Alfonso Cuaron film. It's Children of Children Men. Children of Men. 2006. Yeah, you're winning this one. This is the other one. <laughs> the other film that I dumped someone after they said they didn't like it. Oh, my God. Word to the wise, ladies, if Paul ever becomes single again. Uh, that's Hopefully not. That's uh, the first time, or the only two times ever happened in my life, and both of those films are on this list, so... Can you just like intimate to me who it was? <laughs> that one was the one that we both know. Okay, fine. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that, she was a fucking dud. All right, yeah, so... 
<laughs> not because of that though. Oh, it didn't help. It didn't course. help at all. It did not help at all. But um, this one, yeah, uh, Clive Owen in his best role he's ever ever been in, and with Alfonso Cuarón's incredible eye, some of the shots in this film are to die for, including through a war zone, and it's just this one continuous shot as he's running. You know, trying to avoid bullets. It's That's just one. Yeah, you're right. Astounding. Up I always down. remember the car, but like, the car's amazing too. But it's, that, yeah, it's it's a triumph of kind of blocking and kind of cinematography, I guess. Perhaps one of the finest films I think ever made, and I stuns me that some people don't like. I, don't know, I think I've copped shit on this film on this podcast before for talking so much good stuff about this film. So I'm sure I'll cop it again from the the vocal minority who don't like it. But this is a much beloved film for very very good no, reason. I can't see how and I mean, it ends. This is the shit. It ends. Uh, I think just right. Really nails the ending too. So yeah, children yeah. men as a, as he tries to basically take a woman who is pregnant. Suddenly the first person who's become pregnant in 18 years or something like that. He's trying to get them to a place to propagate. Well, one where they can have the baby, but two. Um, they can therefore do some safe investigations as to why and maybe cure this thing which is making all women... Which is making the world yeah, die out. Because they're concerned that other people will use her for nefarious ends and perhaps not. Mm. Um, yeah. And of course, any movie where Michael Caine is a giant stoner yeah. <laughs> like is hilarious yeah, and gets good. They, there are some funny funny scenes there, yeah. Nice. All right. There it is. Give us your rundown, Wayne, 10 through 2, and then reveal your number one. Okay. 10 was Signs. 9, War for the Planet of the Apes. 8, War of the Worlds. 7, Unbreakable. 6, Minority Report. 5, Equilibrium. 4, Arrival. 3, Avatar. 2, Edge of Tomorrow. And my number one, which I could not leave off the list because not only is it the best sci-fi movie, I believe it is the best movie of all time. Ooh. Hang on. Let me see if I'm right on this one. Does it go something like this? Absolutely. It's Inception. <laughs> Inception, ladies and gentlemen. Christopher Nolan's big budget, big concept, big everything movie that takes place. Uh, you know, look, I don't think I'm even going to bother with the plot here because you have, if you've, you're listening to this show, you know Inception, yeah, right? Absolutely fair. But let's just say this. On paper, this thing is too complex for any kind of mass audience, if you ask me. If you're a studio and Christopher Nolan comes to you, if it wasn't Christopher Nolan, say, look, look at this thing here. I'm like, I can't even follow this script, bro. How are you going to make people work it? And of course, Christopher Nolan works his magic and makes it the most fucking amazing film ever. And the only thing I will ever say, because like, I think we did the, the top 10 list, right? And I said, this is the best movie ever made. I've forgotten, yeah. to be honest. So, and, and I think you said, you said, well, is it your favorite? I'm like, I don't know if it is, but it may be. It may be because mm-hmm. like, usually a favorite for me is massively rewatchable. And this totally is. I think it is, yeah. But Because you, you'll pick up something every time that you go in this thing. But because it's so long it actually might be less rewatchable as a result. But I will tell you this. This is one of the few movies where the length of the film actually serves it because by that third act where Cobb is going into 17 layers deep in dreams or whatever, you actually, having been a little bit beat around by the length of the movie, feel like you're in a dream as well. You are so into the movie that you're like, I actually feel like I'm deep within something, whether it's a psyche or a world or whatever. And you coming all the way out of it and that little ambiguous ending, fucking beautiful. So it's a perfect kind of film, although I don't ever try and sell perfection. Fantastic film, fantastic choice. Hans Zimmer's score as well is uh, to die for, not just the boiness of it all. All right then, so I run through my list and reveal my number one. Number 10 for me, June 9, Gravity, 8, Sunshine, Edge of Tomorrow at number 7, Star Trek 2009 edition at number 6, District 9 at number 5, Looper. Number four, number three is Serenity, two Children of Men. And my number one film, best sci-fi film of the 21st century is also... Oh, yeah, you can't stop (laughs) buying, man. (laughs) 
I'm glad that happened. Yeah, um, so we both had Inception right there. So that's uh, a nil all draw, at least as far as our number one goes. For all the reasons you said and beyond, I think the performances here are fantastic. And just, it's so exciting. It's so like, oh, there are so many jaw-dropping moments. Plus, like, like even Do you remember that? The best bit for me, it stands out. Yeah, yeah. I've said it before, make it real quick, is when he's talking to Elliot Page now, Ellen Page then, yep, yep. and says, do you even remember how you got here? Yeah. And... They go. She has a moment. Whoa. Where she goes, fuck, that's it's a dream. And then the whole other. world starts folding in on itself that in those Parisian streets. Like, oh fuck my Jeez. that visual of having a city yep. fold in on itself and look the way it looks. No one's ever done that. Yep. So it's like this is the shit. This show. It absolutely was incredible. There you go. All right, Wayne, run us down your honorable mentions. Um, here's some ones that we didn't mention, which are a bit odd. Predestination, liked it. Mm-hmm. Dread. Um, source oh, code. Shit, dread. Dread, right? Because it's a, technically oh, a sci-fi. I know, right? Uh, source code was yeah, a, source a sleeper. Mine. Yep. And let me see here. I was going to put Rain of Fire on here just for fun, but I didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me. You? Mad Max Fury Road. Talk about too much. Ah, good call. Prey from last year. Yeah, great show. As mentioned, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, Snowpiercer, Cloverfield, and Her. I've never seen Her. I really should, shouldn't I? Yeah, it's you on your should. honorable mentions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's I only wanted to watch real it. Real thought provoker. Nice. Okay, cool. Right, that's Alice. What about yours? We have every episode of the show with your feedback on the topic at hand in the segment that we call the Pop Ten. Talk about Pop Ten. Talk about Pop Ten. Kicking off this week's Pop Ten with Jonathan Kidd, who said number three, Minority Report. What a cast! I need that car and killer plants today. Hell yeah. Star Trek, number two, took a remake with Simon Pegg to finally make this series decent. Ooh, Ooh. shots fired. Damn. And number one, pr- whoa, Prometheus. Hold on. I know how you feel, Jonathan <laughs> says, but I don't hate you for being wrong. <laughs> you know, I often thought if we ever did another worst films ever, this is on my list. This is on my Ooh. top ten. Well, I, I think we can do that. With just a long ago topic, maybe yeah. we should uh, <laughs> update that list. Okay. Stephen Croon, next up, Edge of Tomorrow, Arrival in Interstellar for he. Mm. Kevin Lawler, top level patron of the show. Hello, Kevin said, number three, AI, Artificial Intelligence. Wow. Mm, okay. Number two, Inception. Yes. yes. And number one is a no-brainer for me, as it is still the greatest experience I've ever had in a theatre. Sunshine. Wow. Flawless. I still listen to composer John Murphy's Adagio in D minor. That's the moment when Hiroki Sonata outside the ship to this day and I'm overwhelmed and nearly brought to tears. Okay, I'm watching Sunshine tomorrow. <laughs> There's one of your people right there. Chef Ben Randall from the In The Weeds podcast and patrons of the show said, number three, Pitch Black. Vin Diesel aside, it was great, <laughs> solid, independent sci-fi. I liked Pitch it is, Black. Yeah, it is, yeah. a lot of fun with that movie. Film, number two, Prospect. Low budget Pedro Pascal space pirate. I'm here for, oh, I have seen that movie. That, I was about to say, I've never seen it. That was good. It was yeah? a good film, yeah. I don't know if I... Have it up here in this sort of echelon, but mm. still well worth a watch. Nice. And number one, Serenity, because it was about Goram time. <laughs> yes. Very nice. Uh, your cousin mentioned him earlier. We'll go with him again. Ash, Interstellar, Inception, and Edge of Tomorrow at number one. I've watched number one so many times and it never loses its shine. T to the fucking C in his sci fi prime. Solid. Also a big fan of Oblivion, he says. So am I. Oblivion's a good ass show. People like to shit on it, but there you are. There you go. Proof positive that genetics does explain. <laughs> A lot. Uh, Sam Hurley from, of course, Movie Reviews and 20 Qs Podcast. Sam making his much-wanted return to podcasting circles in recent times. Sammy. He said, I'm going to put aside all the MCU movies and yeah. then cheated by having lots of slashes. Number three, Ex Machina and Upgrade. I guess they're similar. Sort of. Okay. Number two, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Nine. Number one, Children of Men slash Mad Max Fury Road. Uh. David Power, top little page of the show and one of the co-hosts of We Watched a Thing podcast had number three, The Endless. 
It's not bad. It's a, I'm not familiar with Goya. It's like a couple of guys who did a lot of the Moon Knight stuff. For, uh, okay. But it's a movie, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, but not bad. Number two, Arrival. And a film that, that David bangs on about every chance he can get, Coherence at number one. What is this? I, look, it's hard to describe. Watch it. Okay, it's got Coherence. Z- I'm pretty sure it's got Xander from Buffy in it. Oh, my God. Very low budget, very kind yeah. of not quite one location, but almost close to it. Basically all set in a suburban street when things go sideways. Interesting. Ben Burnham said, hard to be a god. Bleak is only a Russian like Alexei, a German could do. Okay. Mm. Edge of Tomorrow, number two. Emily Ooh. Blunt, Tom Cruise running and dying and dying. Emily Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> number one, Sunshine. What's our place in the universe? I think that's a winner on you there. Mm, nice one. Everyone likes Sunshine. Darren Clark. Might be the first time Darren's contributed to the show. So, Darren, welcome. It's great to have you here. Trying to pick some underseen and not voted on. I'd recommend Paprika. Solaris and After Yang. Also, it's a crime no one has Dawn of the Planet of the Apes on their list. Dawn. Solaris. Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney. Yep. And I wanted to watch it, but I think it might have been you and your then girlfriend who said, "Eh, it's a bit shit. Yeah, it didn't do it for me. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Very meditative, contemplative sci-fi. Because I didn't like, people can hate me for this, Moon. Right? Right, David Bowie's son did that one. I was like, this is so boring. I, it was very heartbreaking at certain moments, but like, uh, if, you know, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, I think the most often mentioned film has definitely been Sunshine because it's also on Jesse Dixon's list at number three. Then number two, they cloned Tyrone. Maybe it's recency bias, but I absolutely loved it. TV show? It just came out or on movie? Netflix. Yeah, with Jamie Foxx. Is it TV John. or movie? Is it a show? It's a movie. Movie? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then In Time. Yeah, the Justin Timberlake one in my top 50 really? films ever. Damn. Hot. Damn. And then we'll wrap it up with Joe E. DiCarlo from the So Wizard podcast. Not a great show. And Joey mm. Wayne has Moon. <laughs> this is his first <laughs> Donnie Darko and then Idiocracy, which I've never seen. I, I really want to see it because I've heard so much yeah, about gonna it. going to have to check that one out at some point. Thank you so much to everyone who got back to us. Sorry I couldn't get through all the feedback. We really appreciate everyone still getting on board and having some fun with their contributions to the topics at hand. Don't have next week's show lined up just yet for you, so keep an eye on the Facebook this community where we'll announce that sort of you know, Thursday, Friday next week and then ask for your feedback there for episode 436. But Wayne, other than that, how do the good folk get in touch with us? Google the Countdown Podcast. Find our socials, except for Twitter apparently. <laughs> X, um, X. X. Is it called X? No, it's called X. Really? Yeah. Fucking Elon Musk. He's making a bunch of bonehead plays. Oh, look, I don't know. Um, Ooh, that's a bingo. Imagine having to rebrand a thing like Twitter because it fucked up so much. That's a fuck up. Okay, yeah. sorry. And how long has he been in charge for? Like a year? Holy mm. shit. Anyway. Uh, sorry. Uh, then also, uh, you can send us an email at thecountdownpodcast at gmail.com or hit our website, which will be rebranded properly soon, thecountdownpodcast.com. All right. And that's it from us today, of course, other than following us on Podbean, where we host the show. It's been an absolute pleasure once again coming at your ears. Yeah, that's okay to say. Yeah, I've come in people do before. (laughs) (laughs) It was an accident. Anyway. uh, (laughs) What happened when she turned her head? Uh, We haven't had very many come jokes this episode. Very, very straight laced. So so we apologize there for those A who are looking for it and B for those who weren't. We really (laughs) apologize right there at the end. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure though. My name is Paul. My name's Wayne. And this has been the soundboard. Indication! Everyone looking for the cum joke. We'll catch you next time. See ya. (laughs) 